0: Welcome back, everybody, and also welcome back, Constantine. It's fantastic to have you back again for a round two. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me, Christopher. Looking forward to our discussion. So it's been quite a, a hectic year, I guess, as a as a CEO for MPCC containership and also, I guess, in the world. Um, what is your like biggest reflection? I'm noted down geopolitics, higher interest rates, inflation, war. Do you have anything else on that list? If you just try to summarize 2023 as we are approaching the end of it?
1: Well, you named quite a few very, very important factors that have, have been omnipresent, I would say, in 2023. But uh, for me, more, more generally, I think 2023 has shown that, or once again, basically, that the world is volatile, partly fragile, uh, and things can change quickly. And that's, I think... Uh, I, I would say a, a lesson learned for 2023 maybe not for 2023 alone but rather take away of the last three to four years uh, but we we basically live in in an era which is probably more fragile in terms of geopolitics global economy um and, and hence i think what is what is very important and and that's maybe also you know some reflections already on the business side is to to be adaptable um and i think that that relates to to on a, to reacting on negative things, but also positive things. But I think that's looking at the world, looking at shipping for 2023, more specifically, I think shipping, the industry is finally getting serious about decarbonization. And that's, I would say, you know, we have always felt that over the last couple of years, but 2023 is is, it's all over the place. You know, there is no panel discussion. There's no discussion with investors. There's no discussion with banks, where this is not a subject and uh, i mean we at least believe that you know we we will benefit from that as a, as a company but uh, it it remains to be seen it's also big challenges um we have done our investments already in 2022 in 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 in, in quite, quite a few things there in in that field but that remains to be seen and and for for mpcc maybe and and personally um be prepared for the unexpected is always what i say because i mean you can never be prepared for the unexpected but you should at least be best prepared to then also adapt, and that's not just one personally and the organization; it's mainly the people that you that you surround uh, that you're surrounded by, to to live also a culture of you know being adaptable, and uh, think forward. So that's maybe as a, as a quick, and uh, we could talk for hours about twenty twenty three, but that's maybe the first take um, that that I have on on the past year.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good summary just related to decarbonization you said you already made some bets or investments uh was that done with clarity and like this is the right option or was it done like we have to do something looking at the data this is my best decision maybe it's wrong maybe it's right I don't know but we have to push forward
1: I think it's a it's a it's a mix I mean we we have we would not go all in with full risk, right? So so, what we have done is we teamed up with um, with the Chadra North Sea container line uh, um, um, from Hergesund in uh, in norway um, and and Elkim, which is also a large uh, Norwegian conglomerate, so to say. Uh, and we have we're we're kind of working on building the first green corridor in northern europe to we have ordered two ships, a uh, methanol dual fuel ships. But we have kind of back-to-back 15-year charter and 15-year um, also cargo commitment from from Elkin, which, which made the deal, you know, work, which makes, you know, risk being shared. And I think that's the way to go about these, let's say, larger investments when it comes to decarbonization you need to do it hand in glove with partners. One, one alone, I mean, Maersk is obviously a different animal than we are. They can, you know, place their bets and they can look at it as a portfolio for us. We, we will have to take every decision very, very cautiously and very, very analytical, so to say. So we haven't kind of placed a lot of bets. We are, we are agnostic as far as the path is concerned to decarbonization. We're not kind of religious about methanol, or ammonia, or, or hydrogen. Uh, we think you know getting some exposure makes sense and um, to also because if you don't get exposure you just talk about it right then you talk about it on on parties on events you know oh yeah i know this and this but you need to get exposure to really be 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 closer to it and and then you can draw your conclusion and can decide what to how to navigate further
0: Yeah, it's very true. There's uh, getting it from slides to investments seems like uh, it's a long way in shipping. (laughs) If it's not if not, economic sense. Do you think that some companies who are not diligent will also risk of, you know, going bankrupt if they are not doing the process you explain now that they're just like jumping on the hot topic and that will hurt them in five year, 10 year run?
1: Well, maybe I mean I, I I don't know. I think it it in any event, it is a risk just to jump on a hot topic without having done your homework, uh, regardless of decarbonization or not. So so I think a thorough analysis is needed. You have to be fast sometimes. So I mean we you know when you look back at our company development twenty seventeen and eighteen, we were running. We were running like hell because we felt there's a window of opportunity that might close. But that was in a in a at least in our assessment. And it could have been wrong but it was right in our assessment uh, an environment where we were able to buy very very cheap so the downside risk was limited and the upside risk uh, upside opportunity was significant so i think in those uh, environments but in in kind of uh, fuel questions technology questions it's it might be a bit more digital right Uh, so you might have put your bet on a on a uh, technology that that becomes obsolete obsolete uh, over time so so the risk and and we're in a high priced environment right so we're at high new building prices we're at high interest rates so it's it's a different world so it's probably not the world to run as fast as you can but it's it's currently an era where you rather you know place your bets very cautiously and analytical Definitely.
0: So you mentioned the strong partnerships in Norway, and I will just use that as a segue because I saw the royal family, politicians from Norway, came to Hamburg, München to talk about how we can foster more collaboration between Norway and Germany. Obviously, you're a prime example because you're based in Hamburg, listed in Oslo, of course. But do you see there should be more collaboration between these two countries or is it just uh, yeah, a normal trip to, to have some fun and discuss business?
1: No, I think actually between Germany and and uh, and Norway, especially the last twelve months, uh, when you look at the, the 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 energy connection between Germany and Norway, that that has you know things have changed dramatically, right? So so I think there are so many leads, and and I would argue, and I have heard that from some Norwegian friends of mine, that never ever have so many German politicians come to Norway um, to to obviously protect. You know to make the to provide security as far as the energy question is concerned but also to, to team up and and um I, I think it is it is a a natural link to 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 be very close to someone who who um like norway also have in in my view quite comparable um kind of dynamics um it's 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 an interesting constellation i personally think also from our experience from my personal experience um Norwegians and Germans get along quite well. I mean also culturally of course there is cultural difference in a way but uh, at the same time I think they they both sides appreciate that it's it's reliable business partners. It's you know it's it, it's it's not a um, it's not a discussion um, every time around about details it's it's about uh, you know shake hands, look in the eye and then get it done. If you fight over things, there's a then there there's a fight. But but that's the way it should be, right? At least to have reliable business relationships. And as a as a group, um, the MPC group has also you know initiated different activities in Norway. For example, MPC Energy Solutions, which is a renewable company, also listed on the Oslo Stock Exchange. Or we have done quite a number of individual projects in the project markets, be it also in, in the tanker space or in the dry book space. So I think there is the the good thing and, and maybe it's looking also a bit from my from where i'm sitting is asset heavy businesses um and volatility is nothing that that where norwegians are concerned about <laughs> right to the contrary they, they they are well familiar with these aspects and that's also why we came with the container company to norway in the first place because we know well educated investors not afraid of volatility and and hard assets um and i think that that will be uh, further fit going forward, but I think to your main question, I think also on the political and on on more the country level, there there is more more and more common ground. I think going forward, um, looking at energy, um, and uh, and that that will pave the way. And it was actually pride I I did attend the the um, welcoming event here in the town hall uh, with Crown uh, Prince uh, on so it was it was quite quite impressive. And I think it's it's good to see. Kind of these presents also here in uh, in Hamburg. and and I think it was a good discussion about energy, but also about shipping um, uh, um, along with with his uh, visit here.
0: That's a perfect combination. So I know this is a hard question to sort of give her two cents, but I'll try it anyway. So German economy, recession or not, slow down, what to do, energy transition. Like you're in Hamburg, you know the German economy better than most Norwegians, I would just imagine. So what can you share about the trajectory going forward? Is it going to be difficult for Germany to get growth again or do you see any interesting pathways?
1: Well, Christopher, that is quite a topic, I must say. And how much time do we have? But uh, no, on, on on the one hand, I'm, I'm not particularly positive about the German economy these days. And I will explain why in, in a second. But on the other hand, um, Germany has always been quite adaptable um, to changes and has been able to turn around quickly from from downturns, and I'm confident that this will be the case this time around, at least in the mid to long term. The the, the question is under which political leadership and uh, what will happen in the meantime, but that's possibly something also for the uh, another episode in 12 to 24 months to draw a conclusion. But but maybe a few words on on German economy from from my standpoint. If you look back the last decades, let's say five, six decades, the growth of the German economy was was amongst others based on uh, cheap energy from Russia to support the heavy manufacturing, free security provided by the US and a comparably stable political system in Germany. And then obviously Germany having, I would argue, fantastic high quality products and being an, a leading export nation. So a lot of that has been the ingredients, right? a lot of that has changed right the political or the geopolitical landscape is is less stable the us has a, a lot of in in internal things as well um with a a, a war basically at our doorstep the, the 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 feeling of security has changed energy cheap energy from russia is a thing of the past um to our point earlier on norwegian german relationship um um, so, so the German economy has been troubled by insecurity. Then you have inflation, you have the the high cost of living, energy, um, um, yeah. So, so there are quite a few things that are that are concerning. Then we have a, a current coalition of liberals, social democrats, and and greens. They had a tough time agreeing on issues and measures from the outset, um, and this has had, added insecurity for businesses and and people. Um, and obviously rising interest rates. But I think a very interesting fact is, is quite recent, and I don't know if this is known in Norway, but a a key component of government financing strategy in Germany has been declared as an illig- illegal practice by the German Federal Constitutional Court just recently in November, and that is a 260 billion euro um, funds that have been tapped. And and that that is because of the, I would say, the marriage between... Uh, the political interests currently uh, governing this this uh, country um, who have had an approach to subsidize or enforce the transition of the current German economy to be less carbon intensive. Um, and this is done without raising taxes and at the same time increasing state spending, um, for example, on social welfare. All of that makes sense. But the fact that this has been now called illegal uh, has been quite a shock um, and I think it will be a big, big challenge for the current government and let's see whether they will uh, survive until the next election in 2025. So a, a long answer to your question, but I think uh, there are quite some, some developments and again, in sum, I'm positive on your recession question, Germany's GDP was already expected to decline by, let's say, minus 0.4 to minus 0.8% um before the funding scheme disaster that i just mentioned so let's see where that where that will lead us but i think in general next one to two years not positive mid to long term positive
0: yeah i think that's uh, that's a great summary and also people should dive into those topics you mentioned to if they need more depth so if we make a transition over to your market the container ship market I don't know, I, I went to a conference in Greece, and you know every, everyone who mentioned containers was, it was like uh, mentioning a horror story in the making because of the supply <laughs> and order supply. I, I know it's not that easy, or you know there's uh, different answers, but can you just give like the overall picture? Because I guess it's fair to say that yes, the future expectation is that it's getting rough seas ahead giving the order book. But maybe you can just paint the, the broad picture and then we can dive into your particular niche as a second layer.
1: Sure, and uh, I would say in general, the the first uh, statement I would make in general, the the industry has has evolved and matured to a degree. Um, so so I would argue the demand side for the demand increase will be pretty much linked to the development of the global economy. In the in the past, people always said, well, it's a multiplier of two to three times GDP growth. This is not a valid. Uh, equation anymore in my book so i would rather look at 0.8 to 1.2 times um, gdp growth so the demand side we will see growth but that's only one part of the equation as you rightly said there is a significant order book but on the demand side what is probably a bit more exciting is the potential development of places like africa india has seen significant growth and still has significant potential in my view um, but also the Middle East and Latin America. So, so there are obviously in 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 relative terms, I expect significant growth there. In absolute to- terms, globally, it remains to be seen, right? Uh, we we're, we're still very very much um, dependent on on China as well, right? Um, and the consumption in Europe and in the US, obviously. But but this is at least. Besides the, let's say, less positive outlook on the demand side, this is probably some some positive. Then on the supply side, you're absolutely right. Um, and, you know, if you were, were in Greece and people painted a, a dark picture, that is mainly related to the supply side, of course. 7 million TU, order book, 30% order book to fleet ratio. Um, but all of that, you know, is it, it is dominated by uh, large vessels. And. The average age of the fleet is 14 to 15 years globally. So we're also talking about the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. There is a necessity to renew the fleet, which is also accelerated through new regulation. Um, and the new vessels that come in are mainly very large ships. So I think there will be a bit of a reshuffling. And I would argue, and and I'm not saying kind of we in our small segment are somewhat protected but what i'm saying is over the next 3 to 5 years i do expect certain sectors will be underbuilt and others will probably be overbuilt um, now it doesn't mean we will have a two tier market and the small vessels may grade and the and the large vessels don't i'm i'm not saying that but i'm saying you need to look at the intricacies of um, of the order book um and of the intricacies of the age structure where we will see significantly more recycling in the smaller vessels is that the next one two years i'm more on the three to five year horizon um and and i actually expect quite some choppy waters next year um but we might already see improvement in 25 26 let's see but choppy waters also makes opportunities so um and that's what i'm excited about
0: can you also explain the decision in you know locking in long-term contracts a while back ago and how important that was? Because I guess that also the part of the exercise is when do you lock in contracts? What kind of contracts are locking in to you know protect the future sort of?
1: Absolutely, and I think it's 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 about being disciplined in your strategy, right? And and not kind of um, and that relates to capital allocation, fleet decisions. But also leverage for example right so um so i think very importantly has been that that we have then we could have you know also said let's sell more ships in the early uprise but we felt you know always you always have to look at the options right and the option is to sell a ship or to lock in the cash flow and at that point in time you know we felt that logging in long-term cash flows is the right thing to do because that creates value uh, and if you sell a ship, the ship is gone. You might have a good profit, but the ship is gone. If you can lock in good cash flows, which are almost a reflection of the, the price that you could sell it for, you still have an optional value down the road. And yeah. and I think that that has been uh, the right strategy. Um, I think we also have quite a staggered book for next year. We still have, you know, we have 66, 67% of the days available covered. So we we have a very strong backlog still for next year. Um which will then come down in 25. Um, but um, we think that has been a very important factor, also to be able to carry out the other measures, paying down debt, still paying a very big, big dividend. You know, We would have probably not been in the same position if we just had tried to sell ships here and there. So I think it's about the mix um, of, yes, selling ships here and there, but also having a clear chartering strategy, especially in a rising market.
0: You just given your owner structure and the way you operate in the broader system, is this company built to last 100 years or is it built, you know, have like an exit if time is right? Or is that, you know, always a discussion at the board level?
1: Well, initially it was a company for a period. Initially it was a, an asset play. We felt, you know, this is a good window to buy. We didn't know how big it could become, right? I mean, we, we, the, the window could have closed after the first 10 ships and that would have not been a viable um, kind of platform in a way, or company from from pure size terms, it could have been a great investment, but not not in terms of developing something bigger. Now, um, we feel, and I personally feel that that there is a a very good market position. Um, we have uh, built a company that is you know almost net debt zero. Um, we have sixty plus ships under 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 our belt as a company, so it, th- there is way more to gain for the company and for the shareholders by continuing to operate and not to have a, have an exit uh, strategy. Um, and we have delivered a lot of value already. So, so I think, um, going forward, you should never say never to anything, right? So if, if, if a great offer comes, of course, um, it's something to discuss with, with the shareholders, but I think in general, um, we are now, we have developed the company into a position, um, that it's it's supposed to last for longer, and is it 50 years? Is it 100 years? Is it 20 years? That time will tell. But but I think we have the we have the platform, we have the team, we have uh, uh, the portfolio to really continue to build this company for the next decades.
0: Yeah, very interesting. So I remember the last time we spoke, you sort of said that now we're going from a transition from growth to value in term in terms of how should you look at the stock, right? And of course, some investors are triggered by momentum, high growth, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the stock was one of, if not the best performing stock in Oslo in one year, was it? Correct? No,
1: absolutely. In, in, indeed, last time we spoke, I think it was early 2022. Um, we just ended the year 2021 as the best performing stock on the Oslo Stock Exchange in terms of stock price performance. Now. 2022 um we ended as the highest paying dividend stock so we were the best performing stock highest paying dividend stock let's see what the final statistics on 2023 bring. but i i i think we will neither be in the one or the other category the the leader but on the dividend side we have paid in 2022 40 47% dividend so the yield was 47% Um, and this year year to date we are already at 43% um, dividend yield Um, so and there's one more quarter to come, so so I'm I'm quite I'm quite positive that we will have a very very significant dividend year, year this time around. We might even be on the top. I don't know, but there are some tanker stocks who have also paid a lot. So um, let's let's see, let's uh, let's look at it once you know the year is over.
0: Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the development because what i was thinking is that can you are, do you manage to bring the same investors from the journey going forward as well or do you have to transition the investor base as well because uh, probably you know stock has different value proposition at different times especially in shipping and you know all the people that know shipping know that it's cyclical you need to and you, you need to know when to buy and when to sell so in your view should you have um loyal investors on board or should you have investors who are like, you know, going in and out of the stock based on the market circumstances or is it always a combination? I
1: think it's, uh, it's, it's, it depends on where you are in the face. I think initially, you know, with our proposal and the investment thesis, it was, uh, I would say, you know, asset play investors, um, clearly, um, so, but now over time, obviously with the dividend, and I think when we spoke early 2022, we just, I think we were just about to pay out the first dividend basically. Now, I mean, now within whatever, 21 months, we have paid more than $730 million in dividends. So, so it is clearly, you know, people have moved, moved on, the asset players have moved on. We have quite a, a turnover in, in investors, but I think we now have quite an, a high number of investors who are happy because... I think the 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 most critical path item is for us to to be a reliable counterparty to investors as well right they need to know what to buy in and i think that has been in shipping quite a challenge over the decades that you know people sometimes say one thing and do the other thing we have said you know we will stick to the dividend we will implement the dividend the moment it is right Uh, and we have paid out you know already now way more than we have raised in initial equity right so so yes obviously everyone enters at a certain price level but uh, but i think at least you know we have delivered and we will continue to deliver to deliver to deliver that um so it's really about uh, making sure you walk the talk um and, uh, and and bring that forward and on the investor side maybe maybe one last comment is um we have grown also significantly the investor base i mean we we are quite a, f- a famous uh, retail stock in 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 norway in in terms of number of shareholders we are we're way bigger than some of the other I would say more well-known Norwegian shipping names um I think it's because of the transparency maybe also because containers is a slightly different animal um uh, but but we, we we want to be fully transparent everyone can understand the dynamics and can make up their own mind um whether it's uh, it's it's a good choice to stay on board or or not. We believe, you know, we have walked the talk. We will continue to to pay dividends. We will continue to do what is right. Um, and we hope that that is convincing uh, investors,
0: obviously. Yeah, definitely. Because that was the second part of the question, the uh, ER strategy. Because if you're a foreign company coming to a new country, it's quite remarkable to get, you know, that popular in retail investor, investing, etc. So. If people come for you for advice listing a new stock and you know have done their case study on how you did your investor relations strategy what do you tell them are there any you know big highlights from that journey
1: well we i i think what is super important is to engage um and and to be to be transparent it's 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 you know sometimes people just just go somewhere want to have the money and then let let us alone i mean of course do i also sometimes have let's say investor meetings that are a bit uh, more difficult and and you know of course but but i think it's about being there being even there in bad times and we also had some quite some volatility in our story obviously being there talking to people explaining your thought process and how you approach things and i think that that makes relationships more sticky um and uh, and we have and i think that's different that's even different to let's say a lot of the other companies that are we are a Norwegian ASA right so I'm in Norway very frequently we have an office there we have people there so we are all I would argue we are even more Norwegian from a corporate uh, standpoint than a lot of the Marshall Islands or Cayman Islands uh, companies that are that are listed and that are Norwegian right Um, so so I think it's about also making the right a choice on on corporate setup and and on commitment we knew just to you know have a fly-in fly out kind of relationship with the market is is not the way to to go about it um and we have in fact invested quite a bit in, in into that um and i think that that is paying off and and people realize that that we are there we are approachable uh we are transparent and um we are actually investing into uh, the ir function and ir relationship on the ground in oslo
0: would there, at any point, be a conversation uh, about listing it in New York as well, or how does that thought process look?
1: Yeah, we we looked at it uh, on on a few occasions. I, I, actually, it's 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 a constant topic to see is, are there benefits, right? Uh, what, what we have, however, seen, especially in the volatility of the market, that the Oslo market reacts very very good. And yes, you might be able to tap some more investors because it's a bigger market. Um, but but I think the pricing in Oslo is good. And and you know the the let's let's call it the, the, the shipping savvy investors in the US, they also know that they need to look at the Oslo market as well. So um I, I don't think it's a big difference. It's probably a bit that, you know, the peer group, our peer group, for example, is listed in the US. I mean, we have zero peers listed in Oslo. Actually, zero peers listed in Europe. I mean, Hapagloid is the only relevant in Maersk, but they are different animals, right? Different. I mean, they are our customers, and way larger, and, and with a different business model. So, so the S is always an option, but um, I think for the time being, we're very happy where we are, um, and uh, we don't, we don't, we we also, in hindsight, don't see a significant different valuation metrics of our peers listed in the S versus us being listed in Oslo
0: understand. So talking about valuation, because I had some question about it, because it's interesting to hear your thoughts. So if you just go all the way, you know, broad at the start, do you believe that a valuation of company, is it a science or an art or always in between?
1: <laughs> I would say it's always, it's always a mix because I mean, what is required? You require a combination of financial analysis, market research, and subjective judgment in a way, um, and you need to determine the f- fair market value of, of an asset or a business based on factors, again, financial performance, industry trends, competitive landscape, future prospects. So I think it's it's um, it's always a mix. Is it a 50-50 mix? Is it a 75-25? In my view, there's no general rule. Um, evaluation must, must always consider the story behind the numbers as well, right? And, and that's the, the art part of things. Uh, And I would say very importantly, it also depends where is the company in the development. Um, um, If you look at do you look at asset heavy business or asset light business models, scalability, right, Uh, and I would argue in shipping in in hard asset shipping, at least it is generally more science based than art based uh, than an early stage startup in a digital business model where you have scalability and you don't see the value yet, but you need to believe in the value tomorrow. so, um, but but what is, in my view, most important, we touched on it earlier Is um, is the people, especially in shipping because shipping companies in the same sector perform differently because people take different decisions about capital allocation. If you have asset heavy businesses, it's really, when do I increase leverage? How do I treat capital allocation decisions? So I would argue, when you look at the art part of things in shipping, you need to look at the people um, and what they decide and why they decided. Um, and do they have the right, do we have the right sponsor, for example, also behind the company? And and that is very importantly important. But in, and finally on, on listed shipping companies, it's a lot about momentum and sentiment. I mean, you got that sentiment in Greece, as you said, people said, you know, container market was oh, very bad, but um, it's, if you, if you fight against sentiment, you do not get the right valuation. And that's actually the interesting point for people to to run their numbers because then you're usually mispriced.
0: That's a very good point. So I know this is very hard to to answer specifically because it's probably you know not that the compliance would want you to answer, but if you try to break down the value of MPCC, what should be the stock value or the stock price story and the valuation of the company? Do you think that you look at the same metrics as everyone from outside the company or like how can people try to make a good judgment if they're looking specifically at MPCC?
1: Well, that's a very good question. I I would say I mean we we are always very transparent in our presentations. We talk about, you know, our our backlog, the steel value of the of the assets and and the upside uh, uh, there. I would argue as an investor, you need to, and that's that's my point. You also need to consider not just the EBITDA and the and the value in the company. You need to consider: will the company be priced adequately? And that sentiment, that's also management. And will the cash flow actually come my way? Either can I either exit through the stock price that is fairly valued because you know there's positive sentiment, or do I actually get my money through dividends? Um, and 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 I personally think that I probably look at it slightly differently because I obviously know that my conviction is we will continue with the dividend, right? If the market comes down, our dividend policy will mean we have to reduce the dividend because it's 75% of net profit. Net profit comes down, dividends come down. But at least people know what to expect. And I think that's probably why I would attribute a slightly different value to our company than outsiders who don't have that knowledge of is the management really doing, you know, is the board really continuing the dividend, or will they, you know, cut it at some stage because that's the way you know most companies do it? And 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 my full conviction is that we will continue. And that's probably why I have a slightly different view on on valuation.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's a very good answer. So looking into 2024, what are you most excited about? Can be the company or you know, any specific topics as well outside the company?
1: Well, I'm definitely excited when you look at the company uh, at at the pure fact that i i expect choppy waters it it means a lot of stress we we have 20 dockings coming up we will do 13 retrofits on ships uh, i mean we have a hell of a lot to do um as an organization and with our partners but um i'm, I'm excited about this and i'm also excited because i do expect choppy waters next year and choppy waters if you are in good in a good stable state running into it it's actually it's fun right it's it's like going into uh you know going into whatever you know on 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 we in germany we have the the, the dome which is a big ex- exciting place where you can go up and down you know in 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 kind of uh, all kinds of things um and the question is, you know, are you prepared? Do you know what you buy into? And I think we don't know what next year brings, but we know that we are in very good shape, and we know that we have a have very low leverage. We know we have a lot of um, capacity, but we also know we don't. We're not under pressure to do things, and that's that's important as well. So, I I would say, you know, from a company standpoint, that's what I'm excited about um personally i'm i'm excited to 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 hopefully do a bit more sports again I'm, I'm i i do a lot of sports but i have done less sports in 23 than in the years before um and 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 i'm excited to 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 go out um I, well i still play a lot of tennis hockey uh, go skiing i will actually go skiing to to norway for the first time over new year so so that's that's what i'm excited about as well um i will go to to hemsdal uh, with the whole family with my three kids and my wife so Um, looking forward to that Um, it will be cold i expect that (laughs) in 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 the alps it's usually not as cold Um, but uh, i mean there's only uh, wrong clothes Uh, we we have a saying in germany there's no bad weather there's only wrong clothes so uh, i'm excited about that as well
0: that seems like a a very interesting year ahead Uh, you just touched upon you know it's going to be a hell of a lot of work so i know this is like a more like a personal reflection but Do you just think that as the CEO, you just have to say that, you know, this is the most fun job you can have in the world because I don't know, with success comes options and with options, it comes alternative costs and there's so many things you can spend your time on. So if you're constantly at work, you know, 12 hours in some days, how do you like keep motivated and still have that same fire in your belly? Because building a company is usually a lot of fun in the start because everything is new. But then you get into maintenance, you get into internal politics, people, HR. There's so many other factors that come to play. So is that also a personal development or is it just as fun as it always has been?
1: No, it definitely is also a personal development, I'd say. At at the same time, also the building phase is not fun because you build something. It's fun because of the people, uh, right? I mean, for for me, it's, um, it's important to always keep the right, you know, people, the right attitude always have fun, right? I mean, without fun life doesn't make sense at all in my book so, well. So I think in building a company, you can have fun in, in now navigating the company. I would say, even in the, in the, in the difficult times, uh, we had a lot of fun here and, uh, and, and that's super important. And, and therefore I think to, to, to have the right attitude in, in different phases of the development, I'm, I'm kind of a person, I always think the glass is half full and, um, and that's that's the way you, you need to go through life in, in my personal view um, and if you have the right people around you who also have a glass in their hand that is half full so to say then then that's that's fun regardless of the market environment and of course you know different times are, are, are exciting in a different way um, but going into next year despite the operational you know uh, challenges i would say i'm looking forward and, and all the people are looking forward to it um, and, and, and that's why I think it's yes it's different but it's it's about the attitude with which you approach different things
0: yeah I think that's the perfect ending Constantine, thank you so much for taking the time I really appreciate it and uh, good luck with 2024
1: thanks Christopher it was, was a pleasure uh, talking to you once again and uh, yeah all the best to you as well
0: if you like this episode and the content we produce head over to my YouTube channel. Just type in Christopher Vonheim. See you next time.
1: All opinions expressed by Christopher Vonheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Vonheim. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christopher Vonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only.